This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. We're learning more and more how having strong social connections helps promote a healthy and longer life. And while many studies point to social connections as a key to healthy aging, having a meaningful, trusting, caring adult can have a huge impact on healthy families and children. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates. We're continuing to look at community-based prevention efforts. And in today's show, we're going to take a look at a specific program that engages and educates different community sectors about how adverse childhood experiences and trauma affect brain development and health outcomes. Now, the sectors are early education, education, workplace, healthcare, and the faith community. Now, it's called Connections Matter, and it's all coordinated by Prevent Child Abuse Iowa and funded in part through a community-based child abuse prevention grant. It's a series of workshops and trainings that help each of those sectors become aware of the needs of folks within their own backyard and works to establish an entire trauma-informed community. So we're going to chat with Liz Cox. She's the executive director of Prevent Child Abuse Iowa. In this conversation, we'll dive into strategic prevention plan that they've embarked on, uh, why Connections Matter was created, and the full collaborative effort, including all the various agency and industry partners, along with specific community prevention councils. Now, PCA Iowa uh, learned early on that these community sectors were much more receptive to the training if it was delivered by somebody within their own community. And this all supports an evidence-based and trauma-informed network of care, an army, as you'll hear Liz put it. Now, I want you to pay special attention to Liz's thoughts on the biggest lessons learned from when Connections Matter first launched and what her overarching keys to success are. All right, no more delays here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast, focusing on working with and engaging community sectors in prevention efforts with Liz Cox from Prevent Child Abuse, Iowa. Liz Cox, welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. Thank you. You guys have gone through really an accelerated strategic plan, and and it started with really an an accelerated assessment here as we were into the fiscal year. Uh, Talk to me about this new prevention strategic plan. One, the, the, I guess, the rapid nature of putting this together and what it's positioning for you in the future. Sure. So, uh, yeah, we knew that our state had not ever conducted a needs assessment in a comprehensive way around child abuse prevention and the funding of child abuse prevention and the programming uh, that was happening in counties across our state. And we felt it was important, you know, especially in this era where, you know, the funding dollars are limited and knowing that many of these local community agencies are knitting together dollars from multiple funders, we wanted to know exactly what were the programs that they were providing, how effective were those programs, were they evidence-based or evidence-informed, and how were they working together And we did that in a couple of different ways. First of all, we had a data assembly. So we worked really collaboratively with the various agencies within the state of Iowa to collect the data. 
But then we also did a lot of in-person interviews and small group focus group interviews to understand, you know, how was it functioning and what were the needs? Um, and we did that in collaboration, not only with our child abuse prevention partners in Iowa, we happen to have 76 local councils across our state, but we also worked with other non-governmental organizations like the Boys and Girls Clubs um, and youth shelters um, and other agencies that provided direct service to parents and kids. And the information we got back was really helpful in helping us better understand our landscape of current funding and the challenges that we face. So based on that, what does that plan have, have you, has the, have the state embarking? Are there, are there major shifts or are there different approaches that you're taking from maybe years past? Well, what we learned is um, what we had actually suspected, that um, we in our state had made sure that every county had funding and we weren't necessarily paying attention to the various needs county by county. So we were essentially spreading prevention dollars like creamy peanut butter across our state, which was a good thing. It provided funding for every county, but it wasn't so good because counties with higher need weren't necessarily getting the level of funding that they needed. Um, so that became pretty evident to us, and we knew that this was going to be something that needed to be modified in, in the future. Um, we additionally knew that there were varying levels of evidence-based and evidence-informed um, strategies being used. And, uh, you know, the fidelity of them was very good. Um, but we as a state, given that we are higher than the national average in child abuse and we have higher than the national average foster care placement, we know that we need to really boost up our evidence-based and evidence-informed practice within our workforce. So, um, that was another recommendation that came out of the needs assessment. So from that, obviously, you know, you talked about that that peanut butter a- analogy, which maybe spreads the the, f- the funding evenly, even though obviously population wise, it's not un it's it's got to be uneven. But what does that do in terms of treating each community the same? Where if it's that blanket approach to funding knowing that each community has got to be completely different in what they need as well. Did you see a disconnect between that? Well, I don't know if it was so much of a disconnect, but we certainly know that we, as not not Prevent Child Abuse Iowa, but all the state agencies that provide funding to the local community levels, um, you know, might benefit from having a, a better uh, better information coming in on needs and uh, providing funding that is you know, in line with what the needs are at the community level. Um, And because the funding in our state is scattered across multiple departments, uh, it makes it kind of hard to know what is one department funding that another department could be leveraging those dollars and supplementing that funding. So from a longer term uh, perspective, our recommendation was that the state should really look at putting all child abuse prevention funding within one agency and in the interim work more collaboratively at the state level um, so that these local county agencies don't have to fill out, you know, five different applications for child abuse prevention funding, that maybe there's a single application sort of a process. So what's been, I know it's only been a couple of months, but what's been the reaction so far that you're hearing from the communities? Um, I think the communities are um, feeling very listened to, um, you know, and, and one of the other subsects that we talked to were parents and 
parents very much uh, wanting to engage in programming, but suffering some of the natural barriers that we all know about in terms of access to services, you know, the, the transportation issue, um, the, the time of day when the services are offered. But we also learned that there was a significant barrier, which is within each of us, and that's pride. Um, people want help, but the willingness to ask for help or recognize that you need help um, is, a, is, is for some people a difficult thing to admit. And then secondly, when you go to get help, and in rural communities, the help is often offered by a classmate, somebody that you've known or grown up with your whole life. And so to receive or ask for help from somebody that you've known since childhood um, is another um, barrier uh, to getting access to those services. So um, it's kind of influenced us in the way that we position um, access to services and child abuse prevention and family support. Um, that everybody needs help. It's okay to ask for help, but I think that's a social barrier that we continue to kind of think about and want to create messaging to support stronger connection and, and willingness to engage in services. Now, I'm sure time would, would have been a factor that you would have loved to have more of in, in going through this process a number of months back. But uh, also, if you were to do this all over again, specifically, or if you were to, you know, give some advice to somebody who's in, a, in another state looking to do something similar, what would be the key, the keys to success? What would be those must-haves that you would want for, you know, another agency, another organization looking to develop a, a similar strategic plan? Well, first of all, we had a very strong partner. Prevent Child Abuse Iowa has been a partner with Hornby Zeller and Associates for many years. They're an agency that has managed um, our data with us and helped us create some other reports on child abuse programming. And so we knew we needed to have a strong partner with us in collecting and analyzing this data and helping us craft these reports. And we certainly couldn't have done this within the time frame that we needed without their help. Um, secondly, we looked at other state models. So California and Texas, I mean, there are some really nice um, child abuse prevention models out there. And in fact, Texas was one of the first to say, hey, we need to put all of our prevention you know, dollars and resources within one agency. And that's exactly the path they're on. Um, so we learned from other models and that really helped us in our process. And um, so we were able to do it in the timeline that we needed, but we certainly couldn't have done it without our national partners and even our local partners. We didn't go out and survey people on our own. We partnered with um, other agencies to help us in this work. And, you know, the value of that partnership has really added to the value of the report. And, and those partnerships across have, have a theme across a lot of the work you're doing. So let's, if it's okay, switch gears a little bit and let's talk about Connections Matter. Um, this is, is a, a unique training to get with community sectors, you know, sectors that every community has, no matter how big or how small, to really get with these communities to talk about the impact of ACEs kind of at their level. So talk to me why, why, why Connections Matter was actually created as opposed to something that already exists or dealing with maybe something that a little bit more out of the box. Yeah, so um, Iowa, like many states, had started to examine its own adverse childhood experiences data. Our data falls in line with what the national uh, standards data is out there. But, um, you know, I think every state wants to know, are we the same? Are we different? So we collected that data. 
um, beginning in 2011, 2012. Um, and Prevent Child Abuse Iowa has been sort of the disseminator of this information along with some other partner agencies. But using our council network, 76 councils out there, we educated them and then asked them to go educate others. And they did. And of course, being prevention providers, uh, they came back and said this ACEs data is uh, really, really important. Um, but you know what? We're prevention providers and all this ACEs data is after the fact. What can we do to prevent ACEs? What what kind of information should we be bringing forward that really um, promotes prevention? And that was the right question to ask. So we went back to our core team of partners and looked at what the data said. And um, it really did show that meaningful, trusting, caring adults um, really made an impact on people that had experienced trauma, that they didn't have the same negative health outcomes, and they were more likely to be successful in school and have stronger mental and physical health. And so this value of having trusting, caring adults actually is one of the protective factors for uh, child abuse prevention. So we said, this is just exactly the sort of uh, message, but also everybody can do it, right? Everybody can go form a trusting, caring relationship with the child or with another adult. And so um, that's exactly what that framework says. We partnered with Dr. Linda Chamberlain, who, um, you know, she, well, she's an expert in the ACEs research, um, and she couldn't have done a better job of really taking all the science and research and putting it into practical everyday language that put, you know, not only talks about how the, the trauma during childhood impacts brain development and behavior, but also the resiliency components and the healing that happens when we have trusting, caring adults. And that's how Connections Matter was born. And just for folks, when when Linda Chamberlain is mentioned, we'll make sure that uh, on this podcast's page, we'll have a link to the Connections Matters website where actually Linda Chamberlain has a booklet that you guys can 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 go and and download. Um, so you talked about the the councils, you know, the community prevention councils, and you've got more than seventy of them out there. Talk to me about this network. I mean, we're hearing across the board from state by state of how. A network of, of, be it collaboratives or be it other entities that know the community firsthand, that are part of the community, because they'll differ across the, the, the entire state. But there's a value in having this network and having that kind of cross-state communication. What's that like in Iowa? Well, we're used to talking to each other here in Iowa. I don't know if you've heard of this small thing called the caucus. I don't know if it rings a bell to you, but uh, we're used to getting together and talking about you know issues that matter. And these child abuse prevention councils were started, oh gosh, 15 or 20 years ago, maybe longer now, um, uh, by um, a, a group of people that just knew that the local community knew best about how to protect the children in their own community and so our um, Iowa code now um, allows for and requires that child abuse prevention councils at the local level exist. And they're councils that are comprised of a cross sector of professionals, they're volunteers. So they're police officers and educators, they're law enforcement, substance abuse, domestic violence, and others, business owners. And they meet on a regular basis. They evaluate the needs of their community. And then they, you know, lead programs and projects 
that address those needs. And we're really fortunate in Iowa to have this really diverse network. And so how does Connections Matter uh, get integrated with, with these councils across the state? Well, we uh, train them. So when we had Dr. Linda Chamberlain here with us, um, she helped us train these 76 providers and their subcontractors. So the people that are actually in the homes doing work side by side with families, we welcome them to um, just get trained in, in a train the trainer kind of a model so that they could be the foot soldiers of this prevention message. And they did. And we then followed up and surveyed all those people to find out, was the Connections Matter curriculum effective? You know, were they able to understand the brain science and the resiliency components? And then were they able to take action? Did they tell somebody? Did they feel like they could use this in their work? And overwhelmingly, the data came back saying, absolutely yes. So we knew right away that we had the right formula. And then we started thinking, okay, there's a universal framework that we've developed, but we're not getting the traction that we really want within sectors and specifically education and business. We knew that all teachers really needed to know this. We, we wanted them to know this. And so we met with them and said, hey, if this was presented to you, would, would you want it to tell others? Um, and they overwhelmingly said, yeah, but we need specific examples in this training that apply to classrooms. So we worked with a core of teachers who had been involved in um, trauma-informed work and asked them to use their lens in modifying Connections Matter for Education, and that's exactly what they did. So now we have a Connections Matter module just for educators that helps them um, be able to have these practical solutions for how to cope with and manage and help students develop their own abilities to cope and manage the, the trauma that they're having and the behaviors that come with that. And, and so the, the five sectors, early education, education, workforce, healthcare, and, and faith-based. Um, how do each of the curricula for those five, you know, di- what are the significant differences between those five? Well, we originally did some pilot work to understand better how well each sector was receiving information. And what we found in faith-based was that the Connections Matter message really tied well with the mission of many faith organizations, that meaningful, caring, trusting relationships is the foundation of their faith. And so in one situation, a parish priest actually started modifying and adapting his Bible study classes um, themes around the the themes in Connections Matter, um, which wasn't what we expected, um, but it was sure a a welcome uh, modification to that program. Um, And since then, we've been working on developing the business model. And what we know in looking at research done by Google and the Container Store is that the key to high team performance isn't diversity, which we all thought it was at the beginning. It's actually friendships and trust. And when we look at data from um, the Gallup Foundation or Great Places to Work, they both um, indicate that when employees have friends at work, they're more productive in the workplace. And when employees trust their managers, they're less likely to leave. Now, in Iowa, we have really low unemployment, which means when you get good people on your team, you don't want to lose them. And so having this ability to talk to businesses about the value of social supports and social connections um, has really been well received. In addition, the, the mental health needs that 
employers now are seeking for their staff at early intervention and prevention are growing. They are wanting this expertise in this language. And so Connections Matter has been able to kind of give them a common language to start having those conversations. You and I had talked uh, earlier before before we recorded about specifically the value of having both at, at the, you know, either the council level or within the sector of having this curriculum taught by somebody within that community. It, 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 you know, there's that, like you mentioned about the value of trust in a working relationship or in, in, you know, in a healthcare setting, but also when this information is being, you know, transferred, that having that come from somebody that's known and somebody that's trusted, you know, one of us, you know, kind of approach. Was that something you guys planned at the initial point or is that something you learned along the way? Well, we should have planned it at the initial, but we didn't. Um, you know, it goes along with cultural competency that uh, we need to be sensitive to the, the community that we're serving. And while it might be okay to take professional development from somebody outside of our um, culture um, on, you know, accounting or other kind of business strategies, this is really personal. What we're talking about here, um, your personal traumas, your personal development, or those that are close to you. I mean, we all know somebody who's had a really rough time in life. And for some of us, I mean, 56% of Iowans that have had one or more adverse childhood experiences. So, you know, it's out there. Um, that's very personal. And so we know, and we've learned through our pilot work that the Having somebody within that sector come and, and be the presenter and, and the leader of that work, um, it just builds engagement all the quicker. So somebody having an educator or someone within education provide the training to teachers, you know, they have real world kind of anecdotal stories. We can, we can relate to one another uh, in a different way. Um, and that's true in the business community as well. Uh, so we're very sensitive to that and uh, really working hard to make sure that we're putting the the most the best people in place to support this. You know, as much as we, we you know, of course, we focus here on the podcast. It is, you know, clearly it's the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. But I'd, I'm curious to see if you've gotten feedback on not just when we talk about supporting the family and the children. But when you start talking about peer relationships and 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 adult relationships and the the kind of we're, we don't stop being human. So are you seeing feedback that just talks about this going beyond just supporting or, or preventing when it comes to the family or children? So that's like I'm so glad you asked that because um, we asked people in our survey, you know, who did they tell after they had this training? Did they tell a coworker? Did they tell a family member? Did they tell a friend? Um, and it turns out here in Iowa, we're really willing to talk about these issues with coworkers, and we're really willing to talk about them with family. We are less willing to talk about them with our friends. Uh, and it's interesting, and I, I don't have an explanation for it, but the data has come back to say that after the training, people shared with their coworkers and they shared with their family members what they learned. Um, the next big step is share it with your friends. Uh, and that's the initiative that we're taking moving forward. So let's think about this. And you had mentioned about, you know, pivoting along the way about, you know, uh, where Connections Matter started to where you guys are now. And you're also in the midst of this implementing uh, this new strategic plan. If we're to go back to where you would start all over again, 
you know, what are the things when you think about with all of this that had to be, you know, those must-haves, those keys to success? You know, if it wasn't for those factors, this would have never gotten off the ground. When you look back, what are those things that you would want to tell somebody, you know, across the country if they were thinking about implementing something similar, what they'd need to have? Well, this never, ever could have been done if it hadn't been for a really dynamic coalition, either the needs assessment or the ACES research in Iowa or the development of the Connections Matter platform. The United Way of Central Iowa has been a, a, just a, a steadfast partner in this work. And of course, our local children's hospital as well. Here in Iowa, we have the Blank Children's Hospital. The Pediatric Association, you know, they're just... And for other people in, around the country, obviously, your health departments, um, you know, your, your public policy centers, um, those are the core people and agencies that really helped push the momentum forward in our state to get the ACEs research done and be able to disseminate that research to the community. Um, and some of them have also been our funding partners. So um, it's great to have collaborative partners, but you also have to have some skin in the game. And a lot of them, whether in-kind or actual foundations providing funding, um, without that, we also would never have been able to do this work. And we continue to be supported through some grant funds um, and are now shifting into a fee-for-service model as grant funds. Uh, grant funds don't last forever, newsflash. Nope. Um, they're, they're really great for startups. They're not good for um, sustaining. And so we are now in the process of shifting our model so that it can be self-sustaining. Hey, quick question. So if you had all of these partners and as, you know, there's great strength in numbers, but how do you get all of these groups to come together to make a decision to agree on a plan and and to actually work together? Yeah, well, um, it can be challenging because there's a lot of energy around the work. And I think the Central Iowa ACES 360 Coalition being the key convener and collaborator to get this work going um, was essential. And there was a steering committee that was pulled out of that group to put the Connections Matter framework together. So we had a small steering committee that drove the action of the larger group. And then the larger group helped disseminate the information um, across sectors. And in the whole process, there was a lot of conversations. And I'm not one that likes to meet for the sake of meeting, but you know, in these situations when you're growing and shaping something, you really do need to talk and you need to listen. And we learned a lot from pilot sites, what we were doing wrong, and we did do things wrong. And then what were we doing well? Uh, and we were able to shift and pivot that way and bring people along with us along that journey. How important was having the data, having concrete data? when communicating across these groups? Well, we needed to have a grassroots and a grass tops initiative. And that I think is the essential component to success in what is a culture shift. I mean, this is a paradigm shift for our community. And if you don't do both the top and the bottom ends, you'll end up with an initiative and we don't need another initiative. We are all initiative out, especially our educators. So we're very mindful that we needed to have buy-in at the top and the bottom level. Well, the data is the, the information that decision makers need. Uh, they needed to see that it had been successful in communities here in Iowa. And we also showed that in the long term, there was success outside of Iowa. So we 
we always hold up Washington State as the pioneer in this work. We are, we believe, you know, near the front of the curve, but we're not in the front of the tidal wave. Washington is. And we look to Washington and the success they've had in reducing, um, you know, teen pregnancies, increasing graduation rates, uh, reducing, you know, youth arrested in juvenile crime. You know, there's significant value to the community at large when we have trauma-informed practices happening across sectors. So the data from Washington State helped us with those grass tops conversations and the data from Iowa helped us with those grass top conversations and the data from the Connections Matter framework continues to help us with those conversations. Excellent. And and for folks, again, especially if you are listening within the state, um, when we point you to the Connections Matter uh, webpage, uh, go ahead and check out the events. And there's a series of different events going across the state of Iowa. Um, it, and with those events, so obviously it sounds like that there's a, there's an outreach component as well with Connections Matter. Describe some of those events for me. What what can somebody, if they attend, what are they getting out of those? Well, and there's probably, we learned, okay, going back to what did we learn? Yeah. We learned that we couldn't just come in and do a, a trauma-informed workshop and a resiliency workshop uh, and hit people cold. It was too much at one time. And just individuals only have so much capacity to manage ahas. And it was one aha after another, after another, after another. And then like, you know, 30 minutes in, they're like, time out, I'm done. I can't, yeah. I can't take any more, it's too much information. So we decided that what would make better sense is if we maybe planted some seeds earlier. So having a screening of the, the resilience DVD um, really turned out to be helpful. It gave a context or if we could even also do a paper tiger screening on another day where there was a specific example of how one school in one community did something. Um, those two things really kind of set the stage then for a deeper conversation around action. And what happens is when we have a resilience screening, um, it, we do it in the, the community at large, quite often people will, there's a discussion afterwards, you know, it comes with a discussion guide. People are pretty irritated that um, there isn't enough being done already to address this work. If we already know all this data, how come something isn't going, you know, being done? And then we just say, well, there's this Connections Matter workshop. You can be part of the change. You know, why don't you come and learn a little bit more? And then how can we help you? How can we facilitate your leadership in your own community, whether it's your workplace, your church community, your neighborhood? What have the past 18 months been like for you? Um, it's a little bit of a wildfire. I'm not going to lie. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah. we knew there was a need in the community, um, clear need in the community. And we knew people were really wanting the information. And as soon as we customized it for them, gave it to them in a way that they could easily digest and understand, um, they just took hold of it and they've got ownership of it. And we've trained about 800 people now in the connections matter framework, just in the state of Iowa. And what we don't know is exactly what they're doing. We hear, you know, snippets here and there. In fact, yesterday, um, a gal that we trained said that they're working with 10 school districts now and helping them have more understanding about this work. It's exactly what we wanted. 
we wanted to create an army. Uh, we're a small unit here at Prevent Child Abuse Iowa. We have six employees here um, and, and a couple of interns. So, you know, we're never going to be able to serve every single person, but we can empower others to serve and do the work. And that's our mission. We want to empower others. And this Connections Matter framework brings community together in just the way that the, the child abuse prevention models really want us to. So. And it's doing a, a number of things that the Children's Bureau is looking to do, where you're talking about uh, approaching the prevention efforts and, and building those collaboratives within the community and making, and not to borrow the, the term that uh, you've mentioned, building a resilient community. Yes. And, you know, I have to say that when we did our needs assessment and when we surveyed parents and we asked them, where do you go when you need help? Overwhelmingly, they said they're friends. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. We want more of that, more social supports for our parents and our families. Liz, I appreciate your time and, and the whirlwind that you've been through over the past you know, year plus. Um, and it sounds like at least if you've got 800 folks trained and, and more events coming up, that the, there's more work ahead of you. But it sounds like it's, it's great work being done. We're ready for it. <laughs> Thanks so much. We really appreciate the time. Thank you. Now, if you head to this podcast webpage, that's acf.hhs.gov cb, search podcasts, you can find our other prevention-related podcasts. And we'll have direct links to the Connections Matter webpage, where you can check out some of the events page that uh, we mentioned and those resources, specifically some for those various sectors. We'll also point you directly to the needs assessment and the prevention strategic plan that Liz talked about. We'll also point you to the Friends site, and that's the Family Resource Information, Education, and Network Development Service. They provide training and technical assistance to the CBCAP programs and agencies. Now, they've got some useful tools and resources, including contact information, a survey on protective factors, and an evaluation toolkit. Of course, we'll also have plenty of information direct from the Information Gateway site for you as well. You can choose uh, some of the links that we're going to have up for you on the webpage, or you can visit childwelfare.gov yourself and access materials such as the uh, 2018 Prevention Resource Guide. A reminder, if you have any questions or information needs, you know, wondering what other states are, are doing, or if you're looking for materials that you can hand to the families that you're working with, you can head to childwelfare.gov or contact some of our information support services staff at info at childwelfare.gov. They can also be reached at 1-800-394-3366. That's 1-800-394-3366. And let me also put in a, a plug for some of our subscription services as well, including uh, Children's Bureau Express, which is a monthly electronic digest of research and resources coming out of the Children's Bureau, or Child Welfare in the News, which is a daily aggregate of those child welfare stories making headlines around the nation. Just pop on over to childwelfare.gov and you can sign up for free. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Hey, my thanks to Liz Cox for spending her time with us. And thanks to you for spending your valuable time to join in as well. I'm Tom Oates, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.